On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. Before Katie and I uh, lived in New Zealand, we lived in London for 11 years. Uh, we had three of our four children in London. And I remember one of the first times that I went to Oxford Circus. And for those of you, I'm sure most people have been, it's an absolute circus. It's absolutely crazy. It's absolutely heaving with people from all walks of life, many different countries, many different cities, people shopping, pushing past, huge crowds of people. Uh, intersection and cro um, crossroads where people come and cross and cross over and, and a whole hordes of people moving in different directions. And I remember being there for one of the first times and, and just feeling a little bit lost and feeling a little bit lonely. It's funny how you can be surrounded by so many people but still feel a bit lonely. And in the midst of all these people moving past and moving quite quickly and pushing past with shopping bags, I heard a voice not talking about our Lord. I actually heard a voice. There was somebody bellowing out some words. I couldn't quite work out who it was, where it was coming from, but I was intrigued. And I kind of moved towards where I thought the sound was coming from. And it wasn't anybody in distress, but it was somebody, a little bit like the guy in our picture, but he had a megaphone. And he was turned right up. And this guy had positioned himself right in the middle of the crossroads in the intersection in Oxford Circus, probably one of the busiest places in London. And this guy was preaching. He was a street preacher. And he had a really interesting um, style of doing it. He, he was right there, and while people were waiting for the lights to turn green, like, come on, he would kind of talk at them, but he would talk through his megaphone. And it wasn't necessarily what he was saying, but it was kind of how he did it that intrigued me. So he would point to a lot of people and, and single out people. And as they were kind of waiting to cross the road, they'd be like, come on. And he'd kind of speak stuff to them and shout stuff to them and so on. 
Some of the things that he did say, uh, which he was famous for, is, are you a sinner or are you a winner? And he would point to people and say, are you a sinner or are you a winner? And then things like, as they had their shopping bags, he would say, you lady, you can't take your shopping bags to heaven. And things like this. And I watched, as I was kind of drawn to this guy, I was kind of seeing, wow, what's the reaction that's going on here? And as I got closer and as people realized what was being said or how it was being said, I would watch as they rolled their eyes and they would shake their head and actually bow their head and like not want to look at him and, and not, not kind of get eye contact in case they were singled out and made an example of. But I also watched as people would walk the other way. People would actually turn away and redirect their path to not um, come across this guy, except for me. For some reason, I was fixated with this person. I was just kind of like, like drawn in. I was like, what is this? And I think I was probably standing, staring for too long because he singled me out. And I'm kind of like standing there like, this is unreal. And then this guy, you boy. And I was like, yeah, that's probably me. That's me. And everyone turned to me, that's you. That's definitely you. You, are you a sinner or are you a winner? And I wasn't sure. I was like, um, I, th- I think I'm a, I'm a winner, but I've always thought I was a winner. I do sin, yeah. I was, I was so shocked that I froze. I wanted to run like some of the crowds. I wanted to leave, but I was just fixated and I, and I froze. And then my body did something that I really wish it didn't do, and it started walking towards him. And I kind of found myself standing next to this guy like a little apprentice as he was just shouting and preaching through the megaphone. And then he grabbed hold of me and suddenly I was locked in. I was in the lion's den with this very loud, very aggressive, very vocal lion who had a megaphone. And I looked like I was part of the team. And I was like, I'm not, I'm not part of this. Like, this is, I'm not here with, with this guy. And then I tried to explain to him, look, I'm a Christian. I've been saved, sanctified, Holy Ghost filled, water baptized, Jesus inside. I've found a new life. I am a, I'm a Christian. But he didn't want to know. And he said to me, tell me, how many people have you told about Jesus this morning? And I had a little think. And I was like, well, I've just had my hair cut. And uh, I had a conversation with the barber a little bit about church. And then he said, I've just told hundreds of people right there. And I thought about it, and I said, yeah, but potentially you've just put 100 people off right there, off church, ever going to church. And then I walked away. Later on, he ended up getting an ASBO, antisocial behavior, for his (laughs) his shouting and his preaching. So coming to our Bible text, a context, what's going on here? We've got Jesus. He's got crowds around him. And it's not really how he's doing it. But it's actually what he's saying. He's not grabbing people and holding them. He's not pointing at people. He's not condemning people. His body language isn't aggressive. He's not putting them off by how he's doing it. It's actually what he's saying. It's the words that he's speaking that seem to be causing offense, that seem to be losing the crowd. He's losing the crowd. They're walking away from him. It's interesting, isn't it? Because Jesus is the Son of God. Like He holds the keys to eternal life. He knows how to use words. He knows he is a wordsmith. Like He knows the words that are everlasting. Yet the things that he's saying seem to be not either hitting the mark or deeply offending people. In verse 66, it says, 
From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Let's just pause there because that's not nothing, is it? Like the Son of God is losing people. Like people are walking away from Jesus. The one that came to save, set people free. People are walking away from him. And that's a painful thing, isn't it? That can be a painful thing. Like, I'm not sure if in that crowd, the disciples had cousins, friends, family members that are walking away from Jesus. And they're like, no, no, don't, don't walk away. Like, let's not hold that. Um, let's not skip over that. Let's see that for what it is. Like, some of us may experience, may know the pain of, of watching family members, brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, friends, for whatever reason, because it's too hard, because life's messy, life's painful at times, or off church politics, or whatever it is, walking away from Jesus. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And that's a painful thing. And I know the pain of that. I have family members and friends, people that I've led to the Lord, who just couldn't stick it anymore. And they've, they've pressed eject, and they've walked out on Jesus. When um, we were doing the Alpha course in London, I had this really strong sense um, just to leave the church and, and just to, to go out. And um, I just had this picture in my head, and it was of the return and enter key on the keyboard. And it just wouldn't go, wouldn't go, and it was going on and going on in my head for ages. And I walked out of the church and into a tattoo place, and I got a tattoo on my arm. Uh, Mark Cameron wanted me to say, guess where the body part is on there, but it's actually my arm. Uh, so, so, you know, that's definitely my arm. And it's the return and enter key on a keyboard, and I'm not advocating tattoos, but I really strongly felt that actually, I want a prayer reminder that's permanently on my body, to pray for the lost, to pray for the people who've walked away from their faith, that they would return and they would enter into all that God has for them. And every time I see it, I pray for my friends who have walked away from their faith. And I pray that they would return. And I would pray that they would enter into all the things that have it. Every time I'm on a keyboard and I'm typing and I hit return key or enter key, I'm like, Lord, bring that person back. Bring that person back. Lord, win their heart again. Send someone their way that they would return to you, that they would enter into all that you have for them. Let's look at the text. Um, I imagine at this point as people are leaving by the troughs, like just walking away from Jesus. I imagine Peter saying, oh, no, 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 please, please, oh, no, no, don't go. Please, he, he might explain it later. Like, stick around. Like, he often does kind of, you know, he elaborates. Like, don't leave at this point. Oh, please, oh not you. Oh, no, you're one of the good ones. Don't you leave. Please, no, 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 come back, come back. And we see them still walking away. They can't stand it. It's too much for them. Words are a powerful thing, aren't they? And especially in the, the age that we live today, like we can send out a tweet and offend thousands. We can send out a, t a tweet and inspire millions. Like we can word things in such a way that it can get such a reaction. Like people can lose jobs over the things that they say, over the things they put online. We're in a unique, amazing uh, time of life where we can inspire and we can use words for good or, or for, for, for bad as well. Jesus then, has he put his foot in it? Like the street preacher in the story. Is he like literally just not hitting the mark? Has he kind of like someone who sent out a tweet and offended loads of people? Has he, has he actually got it wrong? What is going on with, with Jesus here? What's he saying that's so unpopular? Well, let's look at verse 60. Here we are. It starts with, on hearing it. 
on hearing it. What are they hearing? Many of his disciples said, this is hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus says to them, oh, does this offend you? I love that because Jesus is naming the elephant in the room. They're kind of grumbling and stuff. And he's just like, oh, I'll, just kind of, I'll leave that. I'll just leave that. Yeah, I can hear them. Yeah. But he goes straight and he faces it face on. He's like, does, does that offend you? And then he says, well, if you think that offends you, like, what about when I return to heaven? Like, he goes a little bit further in the text. He says, on hearing this, the verse says, on hearing this, well, what is it that he's saying? What are they hearing that is causing offense? Well, to do that, we need to go back a few uh, verses. And actually, at verse 41, we see uh, this. We say that at, at, uh, at this, the Jews there began to grumble about him. Because he said, and this is the, on hearing this part, he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, like the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say he came down from heaven? Like, these guys are saying, no, you didn't. Like, we know your mom. We know your dad. Like, Jesus, we remember you when you were like this high, and you were throwing stones, and you were playing chase. No, you didn't come down from heaven. This is the thing that they're struggling with. They're saying, you didn't come down from heaven. You're not the bread from heaven. Like, we know your mom and dad. And it's too much for them. They can't take it in. It's all about their head. Their heart isn't open. It's all in their head. It's like, this doesn't make any rational sense. And Jesus is asking them to move away from their head. He's asking them to experience by the Spirit who he is. Jesus is asking them to move away from this one-dimensional way of thinking. And saying, yeah, I get it. I know my mom's um, Mary, my dad's Joseph. Yeah, I, I get the natural. I get the normal. But if you could open your mind to the reality that this could be a miracle, that I could be the, the one that you've been longing for, you'll experience so much more. If you can move away from your head just for a moment and allow yourself to experience me, like the whole middle section of that, Jesus, the, the verse that we had, Jesus was talking about the Spirit. He was saying it's the Spirit who reveals. Him. John 15 verse 26 says, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit and he says, when the Spirit comes, he, the Spirit, will testify about me. So Jesus is saying the Spirit is the Spirit of revelation and the Spirit of God reveals who Jesus is. He opens the eyes of people to see who Jesus really is. And he asks us to do the same today, to invite the Spirit to see more of Jesus we experience, we encounter him. Maybe for some of us, we need the Holy Spirit to renew our image of Jesus. Maybe we have a, a truncated image of who Jesus is. And he's saying, I've got so much more. Like, if you open your heart, I'll just show you who I really am, what I can do with your life, in your life. When we have a worldview, though, like the guys uh, who left the crowd, and someone tries to change that, that's a scary thing. It's a hard thing, isn't it? Like in life, we build up what works for us and we operate in this way of like, yeah, I know how life works and that's great and that's safe, but don't rock that. Don't change that. We build up a way of, of a way that's trusted, a way that we can trust how things work. And when somebody changes that, it can be really hard. It can be really scary. Over the years um, of doing Alpha in different countries and so on, and I've seen the same look on people's faces. And it's this look of like, Hang on a second. Is this true? What? Hang on a second. Like everything that I've believed up to this point might not be true. 
hang on a second, are you asking me to change my worldview? He's like, and it's this painful struggle on their face of like, am I going to have to rethink everything? It's an amazing face to see. I've seen it in so many people as they slowly discover who Jesus is. But it's a painful thing because it's shaking their worldview. When I was at Bible college uh, at HDB in, in London, in the first year at Bible college, they deconstructed the things that we'd maybe believed over years. I came from a Pentecostal background, and I'd kind of believed certain things in scriptures, and I stood on them things. And then in my first year, I was totally leveled. And I was like, oh my goodness, like what? You've deconstructed some of the fundamental things that I, I thought might be true here. And it was quite a vulnerable thing. And I was like, what's going to happen? Thankfully, in the second year and the third year of the degree in theology, they would build you back up. They would piece it back together. But I'm going to be honest, not at this Bible college or other Bible colleges, some of my, my friends and some people I know, they lost their faith. They were like, hang on a second. That might, you've just altered my worldview. Like, that isn't what I believe. Like, hang on, what do you mean? And it would really shake them to the core, to the point for some that they pressed eject and they walked away. They left Jesus. But by the Spirit, by the presence of God, we invite him to come in. We say, Lord, can you rearrange me? Can you lovingly, carefully move me to a place where I can experience you more? Where, Lord, I put the things that I know to be true and I trust in, my earthly things, I give that to you. I allow you to come to renew my mind, to give me the mind of Christ and see things as you are. What about us then? Will we press eject? Will we walk away when things get hard? Maybe you're here this morning, you're thinking, you know what? I'll come to church today, but if this, if this doesn't work, like I'm done. I'm pretty done. On Wednesday, um, I couldn't sleep, and I ended up getting in the bath at 4 a.m., a bit strange for me. But I was just there, and I was just praying about my talk, and I got a sense, and I could be wrong, but I got a sense that there was some people here today, and you're like, look, I'm ready to walk out. I'm almost done. Like this Christianity thing, it's, it's a bit tough. And it's not great. And my friends don't get it. And I also felt, so I was praying into that. I was like, well, what specifically, Lord? And I felt like there might be someone here today. Again, I might be wrong. Somebody called Jamie. Maybe you've got James on your certificate. And you're here and you're like, like the story, you haven't quite left like the crowd. But you're not with the 12. You're kind of in between. And you're saying, Lord, I'm, I'm nearly done. I'm about to walk out but I need you. Like, if that's you, I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to talk to you if you're in that position. Or if, in fact, Jamie is here today to come and chat to me. But will we follow Jesus when it gets hard, when it's tough, when the conversation at work is unpopular, when our opinion is in the minority? Will we walk away or will we remain? Jess, come and read a poem for me. Save my voice. That would be great. Jess is going to read a poem from Adrian Plass. It's part of a poem. It's not the whole one. But I'll have a drink and you read. Lord, I said, the good book says that Christians live in joy. That's true, he said. You need the joy to bear the pain and the sorrow. So do you want to follow me? I said, amen, tomorrow. Tomorrow, Lord, I'll say it then. That's when I'll say amen. I need to get it clear. Can I just run through that again? You say that I will need joy to bear the pain and sorrow. Well, yes, 
I think I've got it straight. I'll say amen. Tomorrow. He said, look, I'm not asking you to spend an hour with a quick cup of, with a quick sandwich and a cup of sanctity. The cost is you. Not half of you, but every single bit. Now tell me, will you follow me? I said, amen. I quit. I'm very sorry, Lord, I said. I'd like to follow you, but I don't think religion is a manly thing to do. He said, forget religion then and think about my son and tell me if you're man enough to do what he has done. Are you man enough to see the need and man enough to go? Man enough to care for those whom no one wants to know? Man enough to say the thing that people hate to hear, to battle through Gethsemane in loneliness and fear and listen? Are you man enough to stand it at the end? The moment of betrayal by the kisses of a friend? Are you man enough to hold your tongue and man enough to cry? When nails break your body, are you man enough to die? Man enough to take the pain and wear it like a crown? Man enough to love the world and turn it upside down? Are you man enough to follow me? I'll ask you once again. I said, oh Lord, I'm frightened. But I also said, amen. Amen, 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 amen. I said, oh Lord, I'm frightened. But I also said, amen. That's great. Thank you, Jess. Gave me a little break and what's such a good reading. Thank you. The cost of discipleship is hard, isn't it? It can be hard. Like it can be unpopular and it can be hard when life's hard as well to choose to remain in it and to be faithful and to remain close to God. In a few weeks time on the 4th of November in the evening service, I'm going to share a little bit about um, following Jesus through grief and through pain. And I'm going to share my story about losing my dad at the age of 59 who died of a brain hemorrhage. And just wanting to press eject and just wanting to walk out on it, but finding God in the midst of darkness, in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of pain. Let's go back to our text then. The crowd are annoyed at Jesus because he's saying he come from heaven. But also, Jesus is annoyed at them. Like, he's frustrated with them. He's like, you guys, like, you just don't get it. Let's look uh, back at the previous chapters. We see that there's this storm that's brewing, like something's about to kick off. And it comes to a head when we get to verse 60, when he says, on hearing this. So something's brewing, it's going on, it's going on, and then we go straight in with, on hearing this. They get annoyed. And what has been brewing? What has gone on? Well, Jesus has just fed 5,000. Or as Libby said last week, it's probably more like 20,000 when you count the women and the children. He's fed like 20,000 people with bread. Like it's been an incredible, amazing thing. He's got masses of people around him. Word spread that this guy can, can do amazing things. He can do things with bread that no one has done before. It's incredible. But why are they following him? Why are they following him? 
Well, they may be thinking, oh, I remember this. Like, I remember our forefathers talking about this. Like when Moses gave us manna from heaven, like bread from heaven. Like this guy's doing it again. Like we remember this. Like we, we know this. Like a miracle with bread. Oh, yeah, that's, that's Moses doing the thing. Like Jesus is doing it again. We're getting fed again from heaven. And Jesus calls them out on it. He says this. He's basically saying the God of Moses is with you now. Like Moses gave you bread from heaven, but the God of Moses is with you now. Like I'm here now. He says in verse 6, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Let's just look at that phrase, eternal life. It's a first century phrase, and it actually means a particular kind of life lived in harmony with God. Often when we read this, when we read, oh, Jesus is talking about eternal life, it's when we die. Like, life's a bit rubbish, but when we die, it'll be good. He's not saying that. He's saying it's a particular way of living where you live in harmony with God. So the kingdom of God is brought into the now, and we experience and we live the, the, the kingdom of God now. We live this eternal life now. We walk it. Yes, it'll last forever, but we don't like kind of slum it until it's then. It's like we bring it, we live it, and he's saying it starts now. It's a particular kind of life lived in harmony with God. It's not about life after death, but it's about life before death. And that's what Jesus is offering. He's offering life before death. Jesus is saying, yeah, 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 you can hike for bread if you want, but you're totally missing the point here. You're missing something. There's something beyond the surface if you think you're just coming for bread. There's something more on offer. It's great to be at Soul Food yesterday and just to see the 106, I think it was, that came and, 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 and ate together in this building. It's amazing to be with the volunteers and the team. And as I prayed for everyone before we started, my prayer was, Lord, would you feed these guests physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually? Like they're coming for the bread, yes, but they experience acceptance, belonging, love, and care. But the hope and the prayer is that they see so much more. They experience so much more than the bread. That they experience this eternal life that lasts forever and that starts now. That they meet Jesus. That they encounter his spirit. That their lives are transformed and changed and we journey with them. That it's more than just the bread. Jesus is saying, you've got the food, but you've missed the point and you've walked away. Well, maybe not everybody, Peter didn't. Peter says this, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words to eternal life. And we have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Maybe Peter's seen too much to walk away. Maybe Peter's experienced too much to give it up. Maybe Peter knows actually that outside of Jesus, there's not much. Maybe Peter has got that flicker of like a pilot light that's kind of burning away and he's like, I still hold hope for this. I've got faith in you. Yes, it's hard, but I know you're the son of God. I know you're going to do incredible things. You're going to turn the world upside down and I'm not going anywhere. Let's be honest. Jesus is the way to eternal life where you can experience him now. The circle of this life lasts forever. The things of earth don't, but the circle of this life, Jesus' life, 
lasts forever. It's continuous. It goes on. And Jesus is the true bread. He's the true bread that satisfies. He's the only one that can truly satisfy, where we can experience a life of harmony with God now. I spoke a few weeks ago about the woman at the well. And the woman at the well was after water. And Jesus said, yeah, you can have water, but what I'm going to give you is going to last forever. Like, you're never going to thirst again. Like, you experience my spirit, and, and you're just going like, to thirst again. These guys who came for bread, he's like, yeah, you can have the bread. But what I'm offering you is going to last forever. It's, it's more than bread. It's more than water. And I think in all of this, what Jesus is actually saying is that he's wanting us to hunger and thirst for him. Not for the bread, not for the water. Obviously, we don't deny people the basic needs, but there's something greater, isn't there? He's saying, I want you to hunger and thirst for me. So just in ending, a question then. How hungry are we for the things of God to know more of Jesus, to experience him more? There's been lots of words and pictures recently about us experiencing and encountering the Spirit of God more and more and deeper and deeper. That it coming like a water, it coming like a river, that we experience more of God. And we're on this journey of becoming more and more like him, discovering more about him. And it's my hope, it's my prayer that, that I get to experience and encounter more of the presence of God, more of the Spirit of God. That I can be saturated in his love, that I can be fed with stuff that lasts forever. So what might this mean then as we land? It might mean for us today that Jesus has a different way of living for us. A different way to be satisfied. That Jesus offers, offers life before death as well as after death. A life that's rich and has meaning. And he's given himself as somebody that can offer forgiveness and to someone who can restore so as we come to communion, in the moment Libby's going to lead us in communion. And we feed on Jesus' body, bread and the wine. It's given us as a symbol to remind of all that he's done. Let's be mindful that Jesus is the true bread. The one who fully satisfies, not just our stomach, but our soul. Here and now, and in the age to come. Let me just pray for us, and then we'll move into time of communion.